Hello, and welcome to Dharma in the Desert, the official podcast of the Arizona Buddhist Temple. Uh, for more information, please check out our website at azbuddhisttemple.org. So, my name is Michael Tang, and I'm the host of this podcast, though today's speaker is actually going to be my fellow monk, Sensei Von Magnin, who's going to speak about the topic of caves. But not really just caves, more like what they represent. In particular, the nature of suffering as it pertains to the teachings of the Buddha. Anyway, it's a great talk. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. I entrust myself to the Buddha of inconceivable light. Namo Amidavits. Namo Amidavits. Namo Amidavits. Well, good morning again, Dharma friends. It's so wonderful to have all of you here today. You know, when we do these shortened uh, Dharma services during the summer, we never know what kind of turnout we're going to have. You know, people are busy with vacations or taking care of things around their homes or kids are in summer camps. And I have to say, it's so pleasant to see so many of you here today that I get to join you on this wonderful Sunday. A little cooler outside, maybe a little humid, but it's, it's a nice day and you are all making that um, this day even more beautiful by being here. So thank you. So I have a little vocabulary test for all of you. I'm curious to know if you've ever heard of this particular word. Who knows the word spelunk? Yes. Barney, what is spelunk? You're spelunking for fish. You're spelunking for fish. Okay, well, <laughs> close, maybe spelunking for fish. What other meanings does spelunk have? Gabe, okay, yes, please. Caving, yeah. Spelunking is actually a word that means to go exploring caves. So, I have another question for all of you, and don't worry, this is not vocabulary, but I'm curious to know, have any of you ever gone spelunking before? I see a few hands going up, yeah, okay. It's kind of cool. So, I've been fortunate, because a few times in my life, I've had a chance to go spelunking. And I remember visiting this one cave in southern Arizona, around the Sierra Vista area, my memory's not so good because it was several years ago, but I think it was known as Coronado Cave. Has anyone ever been to Coronado Cave? I see a couple hands, okay. So, I've only been there one time, but I can recall many things about it. And the first thing I remember when we arrived at the cave with a group of my friends was that it had a very wide opening, almost like a mouth coming out of the ground, that we were able to walk directly into, no problem, and it had a very high ceiling at the beginning of the cave. And as you can imagine, as you stepped inside, you still had quite a bit of daylight that was seeping in. But the farther you walked into the cave, the path became more narrow, and the space above your head started to drop so much to the point where you would actually have to crouch so you wouldn't bump your head on, on a, I think it's stalactites come out of the roof, right? So you had to be careful that you didn't bump your head on things. 
So by the time you reach the end, the end of this part of the cave, you actually need to have a flashlight as well in order to see just a few feet in front of you. So in addition to just opening the opening of the cave and walking in, you also had the option of exploring some tunnels that were in there. And the tunnels were actually mapped, uh, marked on the map that my friends and I had. Um, and you had to look very carefully to spot these tunnels, but there were quite a few of them that you could crawl into. And most of them were just really short tunnels, but there was one that was over 100 feet long. So one of my friends and I decided to be brave, and we decided that we would actually crawl into this tunnel and make our, make our way all the way to the end. We actually had to get down on our hands and knees to navigate the tunnel, and it took us almost 10 minutes to reach its end. So can you imagine crawling along the length of a football field on your hands and knees? It takes a little while, doesn't it? So when we did reach its end, it looked like there wasn't going to be enough space for us to turn around. And for a couple of minutes, we thought we might have to crawl backwards to get out. So after a few bumps and scrapes with the tunnel's walls and kind of getting a little intimate with one another, because, you know, bodies have to kind of contort around each other to turn around in a tight space, we managed to get ourselves turned around. And when we did and we were facing back the way we had come, instead of just crawling out right away, we decided to catch our breaths because it took a lot of energy. And then we decided to turn off our flashlights. So what I would like you all to do just briefly is I'd like you to close your eyes. Just close your eyes. I'm checking. Now, does the world seem dark to you? It might at first, but when you close your eyes, you're going to notice light is seeping through your eyelids a little bit. So it's not truly completely dark. So you can go ahead and open your eyes again if you, if you want, or you can take a nap. Either way is fine. Um, so anyway, for us, when we turned off our flashlights, it was completely dark. And we stayed for several minutes to see if our eyes would adjust to the darkness. Because we were curious to see if we could detect any faint light seeping in through the opening of the tunnel 100, um, over 100 feet away. So we couldn't. And, and because it was completely dark, it was how I would imagine being blind would be. As we sat there quietly in the darkness, I'll admit that I started to develop, to develop a sense of panic. So my heart rate was starting to increase. I was starting to breathe harder because it was dark. And I had to consciously remind myself that even though it was dark and it's a tight space and I'm also a little claustrophobic, I had to remind myself that I was safe and that all I had to do was to make a point to slow down my breathing in order to settle my heart and my mind. And I was surprised how easily I could do that, although I didn't want to test out for how long I actually could. So eventually, after a couple minutes or so, we turned our flashlights back on and crawled our way out of the tunnel. And we, when we made it out, we rejoined the rest of our group and we walked out of the cave and into the sunlight. So it was quite an experience that I got to do that. And I'm glad that it was something I got to kind of test myself on because you had to have confidence going in the first place and then realize like, hey, even though it's a little tight and spooky and dark, you can be okay. So I'm really happy I got to, to go spelunking in a cave in the south of our state. I'm sure many of you have been watching the news the last two weeks, and you probably learned about the 12 boys and their soccer coach who had gone into a cave in Thailand and got stuck in there. Does that ring a bell for everyone? It's been all over the news, right? So 
Back on June 23rd, after soccer practice, these boys and their coach decided to enter into the Tom Long Nong Cave to do a little spel spelunking themselves. And a few of them had safely explored this cave before, so they had no reason to believe that this day was going to be any different for them. However, once they were inside, water from the monsoon rains, and we know all about monsoon rains here in Arizona, monsoons in Southeast Asia are quite a bit different. It rains much more heavily. And so the water from these rains began to seep into the cave, and it rapidly began to fill with water. Their coach managed to locate a small ledge inside the cave that was above the water level. And although they were out of the water, they were trapped. They had no idea if the water level would rise higher to the point that they would drown. They had no idea whether or not they would be alive shortly thereafter. Their only hope was that they would be missed and that a rescue would be launched before it was too late. So in fact, they actually were missed rather quickly when a park ranger in the area noticed that their bicycles, backpacks, and soccer cleats that they had left outside the cave's entrance were just sitting there. And so the park ranger called for help, and a search was commenced. And it took 10 days later for them to be found, which was like on July 2nd, by a pair of divers. The boys and their coach were three miles from the entrance of the cave. And it took until July 10th to get all of them out. So that was just this past week. So can you imagine what it would be like to be trapped in a cave for almost two weeks in complete and total darkness? Not knowing whether or not you'd be found? Not knowing whether or not you'd see your loved ones again? I think it would be incredibly hard to survive for most people. And for me, I'm not even sure that I could survive it. I'm sure all of them were scared and that their fear increased with each passing day. And I'm sure that their coach was scared too, not only for himself, but for all the boys that he had led into the cave and for whom he was ultimately responsible for. He had to find a way to keep them and himself calm for whatever was to come. But fortunately, this coach had a very special tool in his toolbox. It was not a high-powered flashlight or a radio that could penetrate outside the cave's walls or even extra food. Does anyone know what it is? Have you heard? Meditation. It's meditation. And for us as Jodashinshu Buddhists, we don't put a lot of emphasis on meditation as a means to further our way along to enlightenment. We use meditation as an opportunity to calm our minds from the monkeys that are bouncing around inside our brains. And to, short, and to still our breaths a little bit and slow down our heartbeats just to relax. So for us, that's how we think of meditation. Before coaching soccer, Coach Chantawang had spent a decade as a novice Buddhist monk in the Theravada tradition. And as a monk, he had learned the practice of meditation as a means to calm one's heart and mind. He used meditation in the cave with the boys to help them conserve energy and to remain calm during their desperate situation inside the water-filled cave. I'm sure that this had as much of an influence on their survival as did the efforts of all the people that were working around the clock to rescue them. The practice of meditation helped them to let go of their fear just enough to keep hope alive and to believe that things might turn out all right. 
If they had not done this, and the coach and the boys had not remained calm, they may have panicked, and very well may have made some poor decisions like trying to swim out of the cave on their own. And chances are, if they had given in to this panic, they may well have all died in that dark cave. In the end, as we know, all of them made it out alive, and only one person died as a result of the rescue efforts. The person who passed away was a former Thai Navy Special Forces sailor, kind of like our U.S. Navy SEALs, whose oxygen tank ran out of air. And to me, this Thai sailor, whose name was Saman Kunan, was like a bodhisattva who selflessly gave his life to help lead others out of darkness and into the light. So as the world mourned his death, they simultaneously rejoiced in the rescue of the soccer team who had made it out of their own darkness. You know, when I reflect on this, I realize that caves aren't the only places where we experience, experience darkness in our lives. And in this case, I'm referring to the metaphorical type of darkness that occurs in everyone's lives. It's a kind of mental darkness or emotional darkness that often leads to anguish and despair. Things such as the death of a loved one or a friend, financial hardships, having challenges in school, and the ending of relationships. During these kinds of dark times, it can be really hard to remain calm and to have hope. I've had many dark times in my life where I had to battle giving in to panic. One of those times is when I went through a divorce many years ago. In fact, it was almost 25 years ago. And it was a very difficult thing to go through. I did not understand what was happening, but I knew something was really wrong. Both my heart and my mind would race endlessly each day as I didn't know how to fix the situation I found myself in. After several months of feeling this way, I eventually realized that I had to calm myself in order to have any semblance of thinking clearly. Even though I didn't do anything special, I managed to still my panic just enough to start thinking with a clear head and to develop a sense of hope for my future. I had to let go of how I thought things were supposed to be and trust that things would be all right. When I finally decided to leave my ex behind, it was like I had walked out of a very dark place and into a brilliant light. The world was open for me and filled with new possibilities for my future. And as many of you know, I'm happily married to Karen, and to, together we have two wonderful boys. The three of them are the lights of my life in this world. And since that time of my divorce many years ago, up until now, I have been supported by countless others. Some of them are known to me, like you, as my friends in the Dharma, and others are not. But collectively, all of these beings have selflessly helped me to recognize that light exists even when there is darkness. And I consider all of these beings to be the bodhisattvas in my life who help lead me through darkness while I'm in this world. Both the experiences that the soccer team in Thailand went through and my divorce remind me that occasional darkness, to different degrees, occurs in the lives of each and every person on this planet. When we are in the midst of our darkness, it can be really hard to recognize that light exists. And yet, it is always there. And this makes me think of Amida Buddha's vow to save all of us from our darkness. And through the light of the Dharma, and with the help of some bodhisattvas along the way, the Buddha leads us into the realm of peace, tranquility, and enlightenment. 
even if we cannot realize it for ourselves. So thank you very much for listening. And would you please put your hands together in Gasha once again and recite the Buddha's name along with me. Namo Amidavits. 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 Namo Amidavits.